The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. In this episode, we continue to look at education in a digital age, how children interact online from the perspective of one of the best known platforms, TikTok. What are the platforms doing in order to combat abusive and discriminatory behaviour? How are they safeguarding their users, often children and vulnerable adults? And how can parents allow their children to use social media whilst ensuring they are adequately protected? Hello and welcome to the Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions podcast and to this, the second in a three-part series looking at education in a digital age. I'm Victoria Piggott, a partner in the private commercial litigation team, and I'm joined today by Alexandra Evans, Head of Child Safety Public Policy at TikTok. Alexandra, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Let's just start with a very basic question. What exactly TikTok is? That's an excellent question. And one I get asked frequently. So TikTok is a entertainment platform. We specialize in short form videos. They are user generated. We have a huge community globally, over 100 million monthly active users in Europe alone. And these people are using TikTok to express themselves creatively and joyfully in various myriad ways that are, you know, often delightful and surprise us as well as the rest of our community. So I think in summary, I would say that it's about entertainment. It's about escapism. And uh, it's about finding perhaps a little bit of relief from the complexities of the world that we live in at the moment. And you make a distinction between an entertainment platform and social media. So for those of us who might not know that distinction, how would you explain that? I think the easiest way is to say, to think about it in terms of how you interact with the platform. So you check a social media platform, you watch an entertainment platform. So you don't check TikTok, you watch it, you get swept away and transported to somewhere, wherever, whatever your interest may be, you have a moment, as I say, of entertainment. And that's the critical offer that I think that TikTok is probably the reason why we've become so successful. And the distinction being that social media is where you're interacting with people that you know. Yeah, so at TikTok, you can obviously follow people and you can um, like videos in the same way that you would on a social media platform. But what TikTok is trying to achieve for its users is the possibility of understanding other people's lived experiences to uh, offer our users a window into the world, essentially. So yes, you could like somebody's content. Yes, you could celebrate it. You can comment. You can be a champion and an advocate and you can share but typically when people are engaging with content, it's not about, you know, your social network. It's about the videos and the community that you find out in the world and the creators that you find interesting out there on the wonderful world of TikTok. The tagline, I understand it for TikTok, is make your day, which is meant to be uplifting, cheerful, playful, fun. What are the kind of issues? I mean, obviously, in relation to your role specifically, what are the kind of issues that arise and that you have to deal with? So obviously as a platform with a global reach, we are cognizant and really 
committed to tackling all aspects of potential harm that could either befall a user, but in, of course, in my case, my, my constituents are children. So I'm particularly mindful of the kind of harms that a child might be exposed to on any platform. Our community guidelines set out really clearly what is and isn't acceptable on TikTok. And to give you a sense of scale of how we enforce our community guidelines, we have over 10,000 moderators worldwide. We have a global hub system which enables us to follow the sun. So essentially, our trust and safety teams wake up in Singapore, they hand over to Dublin, they then move on to San Francisco and then back to Singapore, which gives us the ability to have 24-7 coverage, 365 days a year. In terms of what we see on platform, we see, as, as I've mentioned, that you know TikTok is primarily used to celebrate and to uplift and it tends to be a place that is about joyful escapism. And I think that that has had a very positive impact on the level of harmful content and harmful interactions that we see on the platform. But we certainly don't take it for granted. And what's interesting about our community guidelines is that if you review them, you will see that we really do take quite a cautious approach. So I think that when we are thinking about what is and isn't acceptable and the kind of environment and community that we want to create, we will always take a safety first approach. And in terms of the type of content that you see that you would be concerned about, Can you talk us through the process for how content is firstly flagged to you as perhaps abusive or discriminatory, and then the process that would go through from someone reporting it to that content being moderated and perhaps taken down? Sure. So to be absolutely clear, any content that is discriminatory, abusive or bullying is absolutely prohibited under our community guidelines, and we are crystal clear about that. But it's not enough simply to be clear about what you don't want. You have to absolutely follow that up through action. So we use a combination of automated machine technology and human oversight to ensure that all of our content is reviewed and content that is potentially violative is taken down. So to give you a sense of scale of what that means in practice, in the last half of 2020, we took down over 89 million videos proactively globally, which accounts for less than 1% of the total content that is published to TikTok. And in terms of our ability to do that um, before others have seen it, in relation to minor safety, which is, of course, you know, my my area of expertise, uh, we took down 97.1% of that content proactively and 95.8% of that within 24 hours. So if I see, let's say, for example, I'm, I'm on TikTok and I see something that I think is abusive, What's the process that I would go through and then my reporting it, how would you then take it down? So we have in-app a really straightforward user reporting mechanism that enables our users to be sort of active participants in monitoring our platform. And I have to say that that's great, but we also take our own responsibilities really seriously. And the fact that we use so much automated technology enables us to be taking such a strong lead in relation to how we remove content on the platform. But certainly, if you as a user want to report anything, you can do that in a really granular way. So on TikTok, you can report either a video, an account, a hashtag, a sound, a comment, and you do so simply in in app. So essentially, you would be, let's imagine you were reporting a video on your For You feed. You simply tap the video, and then through a couple of clicks, you'll get to a point where you can make a decision about what you want to report under what category. So you can say, 
I believe this violates your minor safety provisions, this violates your hate speech provisions, whatever it may be. And at that point, your user report will be sent to a human moderator for consideration. And then we'll let you know the decision that we've taken in relation to that piece of content. And that touches on the kind of people that are using TikTok. So you obviously have children and adults. And I understand that platforms such as TikTok focus on developmental stages. So you don't have the same kind of safety measures for adults as you would for children. How does that work? Exactly. So so TikTok is a, is a diverse community across all different age groups and all different interests. I think that the main thing I would like to get across is that actually safety is the primary consideration that drives all of our decision making for all of our users. So the platform is designed both with an aggressive detection strategy in place, but also with preventative measures to make sure that from a design perspective, we've taken an upstream approach to mitigating risk. And a good example of that is our direct messaging service. So there are protections in place that apply to all of our users, irrespective of age in relation to our private messaging function. You can't send an unsolicited message to another user on TikTok. You have to both have mutually agreed to follow the other before you have access to that service. And additionally, you can't send an attachment or a video privately on TikTok. So that's a good example of the way that we might approach safety across the board. But of course, children are not adults. We understand, as you say, from a developmental perspective, that childhood is a journey. It begins at infancy and it finishes at adulthood. And we as a society have a really clear understanding and a collective understanding of what it means to be at different development stages in terms of your evolving capacities, essentially your ability to manage the world around you. Now, what this means for TikTok is that we have on our platform two key groups. The first is early teens, and then we have late teens. Now, anybody who has a teenager will know, of course, that a teenager is not a fully formed adult. They have additional needs, additional vulnerabilities. Really good example of teenage behavior that I can remember from my own childhood, and I'm sure that you can as well, is that teens are not great at evaluating long-term risk. They will uh, have a strong bias towards immediate gratification of an immediate need and they will certainly from a sort of peer approval stage they are at a moment where they are moving away from their family and their family nucleus as being the sort of the the essential hub for security safety validation support friendship towards their peers being their key stakeholders for most of those um, moments of validation and safety and security now Obviously, what that means for mothers and and dads is that, you know, it's really tough having a teenager. It's a horrible moment to see that your teenager is pulling away from you, even if it may be developmentally appropriate and necessary for them to move into adulthood and beyond. But from a safety point of view, it means that we need to take into account that those young people are likely to be operating in a more independent way than they would as preteens and also feeling a lot of pressure to, for example, fit in, to explore their sense of self, explore their identity. So at TikTok, we're really careful about trying to support those teens in what we would call the task of adolescence, one of which, as I say, is about exploring their sense of self, but in a way that is age appropriate and has the necessary scaffolding and guardrails around their experience. 
in practice, what that means is that they essentially experience TikTok differently to adults. And we're really comfortable about the fact that they will have a, a limited experience of our platform, which properly accounts for their evolving capacities and additional vulnerabilities. Some good examples of that are that under 16s aren't able to access our direct messaging service at all. Equally, they are not allowed to host a live stream. They can watch, but they can't host. And under 18s can't either send or receive a virtual gift on TikTok. And in January, I think this year, we made some uh, fairly groundbreaking announcements around our privacy and safety settings for under 18s. So we are, as, as far as I'm aware, the first major platform to make all under 16 accounts private by default. And that's a decision that we took globally and also retrospectively. So that applies to our existing user base as well as new users who join the platform. For under 16s as well, we made some decisions around who can contact and interact with them. So I mentioned that in relation to direct messaging, everybody has to have that mutuality of of connection before they can talk privately. But for under 16s, it's not possible to comment on under 16s video unless you have that mutuality of connection as well. And that's just not a default option, that's disabled completely. So the everyone can comment on my videos options is disabled permanently for under 16s. So there are plenty more examples in our default settings that sort of reflect the fact that we are trying to account for early teens needs and late teens needs. But I won't go through all of them because we take the whole the whole time just doing that. Can I just follow up on what you mean by a private account? You say that you took the decision to make all under 16 accounts private. What does that mean? A private account essentially means that unless you already have a connection with that account holder, they're not visible. And for children, this is really important because when you are, as I say, a 13-year-old and you join a platform, you are essentially fulfilling an immediate need. You have decided you want to be on TikTok and you will just not really be in a mindset to be thoughtful about your own privacy protections and the decisions that you've made about who will see you and who will be able to interact with you Once you get on the platform, you just want to be on TikTok and fair enough, it's a great place to be. But because of that, we want to make sure that when we have younger users joining our platform, that we take responsibility for putting them into a privacy respecting environment, which essentially means that they start off private. And if they then decide to become more visible on our platform, we give them additional support and notifications and information about what that would mean. But we want that transition from privacy first to a more public setting to be a thoughtful one rather than a default. So I wanted to look at some practical examples of how parents can feel comfortable with their children being on TikTok specifically. So how they can work together with their children to ensure that they're having a safe experience. That's a really good question. Working in partnership with parents and caregivers is really critical to TikTok. So a good example of that is that we recently updated our caregiver's guide. So we have on platform and on a website really granular advice about how to use TikTok safely. But we also want to make sure that we give uh, parents and caregivers the tools that they need to be really comfortable about their child using TikTok. So we have this safety feature called family pairing. Family pairing enables a parent to connect their TikTok account to their teens and then they are able to make decisions on behalf of their teen 
about various aspects of our the use of TikTok. So for example, they can decide to prevent their child from being able to use our search function. They can override a teen's decision to make their account public if they've moved away from the private by default. They can also switch on restricted mode. And there are various other settings as well that they can activate. So for us, family pairing is not about a monitoring of a teen's life. As I said, it's really developmentally important that teens have a bit of space, that they are able to engage with their peers, that they can explore their sense of self without being overlooked. But I think it's completely reasonable for parents to expect that we will enable them to have the tools and the agency to set the guardrails and the parameters of use. So to give you an offline example, if my 14-year-old wants to go to the cinema, I don't say, great, I'll book the seat next to you. But what I do say is, what time are you going? Who are you going with? How are you getting there? When will you be back? Text me when you get there. Text me when you're on the way back. And don't eat too much popcorn. Yeah, so that, those are my rules. You go, follow the rules, and then come back safely. So family pairing is essentially the online equivalent of just boundary setting for teens, which I think is a very normal and reasonable expectation that parents have or should have of all technology platforms. Clearly, you're able to see how children are using TikTok and the kind of things they're communicating about. Are there any trends that you've noticed over the last few years and what kind of things might give you cause for concern? So you say over the last few years, I should flag that TikTok celebrated its second um, birthday only in August last year, which is kind of mind blowing in terms of the level of growth and engagement with our platform. So we don't have a long history to rely on. And a lot of what I've talked about in terms of our safety strategy is absolutely about us growing at pace and being committed to being safety first in everything that we do. But in terms of the trends of how we see young people using the platform, I think I might sort of take a step back from TikTok and just talk about Gen Z because, you know, Gen Z is my are my constituents. They are the people that I champion, the people that I get up in the morning to look after and to keep safe. And I really think they are a remarkable generation. If you think about what it means to be born and to be a teenager now, you are facing unprecedented challenges, not just the interruption of the pandemic on your prospects for education and access to opportunities going forward, but also some pretty significant challenges in relation to global warming, climate change, and a world that you have inherited is one that is, you know, not without problems. And I think that it's remarkable that that generation faced with so many challenges has chosen TikTok to be a platform to express themselves. Because if you think about it, TikTok is about positivity. It's about joy. It's about finding, you know, moments of of connectivity and common humanity. So that, for me, speaks incredibly highly of Gen Z. I think that I would say that they are sometimes tolerant to a fault. They are constantly striving to understand others' lived experiences. And I sometimes wish that they would elevate their own experiences and their own needs. And so something that I've noticed recently that I feel really excited about is that Gen Z have sort of found their voice as advocates. I don't think everything started with Greta Thunberg, but certainly she was a really good example of of Gen Z finding that they have a meaningful voice in the decisions that are being made about them. So we see on TikTok a lot of celebratory advocacy. It's not so adversarial as some other platforms. And I think, again, that speaks to Gen Z preferring to try and understand rather than to debate. 
but certainly we see them coming together to champion and to celebrate and to be as inclusive as possible in terms of celebrating everybody's lived experiences. We've talked about your safety policies and how parents can work with you. Is there any legislation that could be brought in that you think might help? I saw something on the news this morning where someone was saying that everyone who has an account on social media on a platform should have to provide their ID, so a passport or driving license, although not that children will have a driving license. Do you think that kind of accountability is something that might help in relation to safeguarding? I think we're really comfortable with the fact that legislation has a role to play in determining standards for platforms. I think that TikTok is always going to be mission-led and for us, safety isn't a bolt-on or a regulatory or compliance requirement. It's a foundation sort of cornerstone of how we operate, not least because really what we're trying to ask young people and, and, and all of our users to do is to be authentic and to express themselves. And you can't do that unless you feel safe. If you feel uncomfortable or you feel like you might be attacked, then you're not going to be authentic and quite rightly so. So our commitment to safety is, as I say, mission-led and is not a sort of reticent response to a regulatory or compliance obligation. But that said, I think we are really comfortable, as I say, with the fact that some of the decisions that we take should be determined and should be laid down in law because we as a platform operate within society and it's important that society's values and society's expectations of us are really clear. So we welcome legislation and, um, and as I say, are really comfortable with the fact that we will have regulatory obligations, certainly around transparency and accountability. And I think that sometimes, again, I used to work for an NGO, so I have sat, I suppose, as some might call it, on the other side of the fence and have been frustrated in the past by the fact that tech platforms can sometimes be a bit opaque about what they're doing and the impact of their decisions that they've made in terms of keeping their platform safe. And one thing that's been really refreshing about working for TikTok is that we are absolutely committed to full transparency. We publish on a half-yearly basis transparency reports that set out the stats in terms of how we have taken down content, how we've responded to law enforcement requests, etc. And I do encourage everyone to take a look at them. But we've also announced both in the US and soon to be in the European Union as well, a transparency and accountability centre. And this is going to be a real touch point for us to be able to show stakeholders, policymakers, academics, NGOs, what we're doing and to get their feedback on whether they think that we're doing the right thing. And one of the things we're going to be offering at the Transparency Centre in, in, in Europe when it opens is that we will show people our code. We will show how the algorithm works and get their feedback on that. So we are really committed to ensuring that we don't just tell you what we're doing. We also make it clear what the impact of those decisions is in terms of the efficacy of our safety strategy. And you've recently announced that you're joining the Technology Coalition, which I understand includes Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram. And that is specifically in order to fight against sexual harassment and child abuse. Can you explain a bit about how the Technology Coalition intends to combat these issues? Absolutely. And I think you, you miss Google often. I think that they would be quite rightly. Oh. Um, <laughs> Who are Google? <laughs> 
a relatively big player in the market. Uh, so, yeah, so the technology coalition is a really important aspect of our safety strategy. And I think it's really useful because it rebuts a widely held belief that technology platforms are inherently in competition. But my experience of my engagement with other platforms around child safety is that we do not consider this to be a, a competitor issue. All of us have a zero tolerance approach to child sexual exploitation and abuse. And we are fully committed to sharing best practice solutions and sharing information and expertise in order to combat what is a global and societal problem. So I'm really excited about our membership of the Technology Coalition. We're already a signatory, I should say, to the voluntary principles on child sexual abuse and exploitation, which were developed collaboratively between the UK, US, Australian, New Zealand and Canadian governments. And we are a member of the We Protect Global Alliance, which is the NGO that facilitates collective movement on the voluntary principles. So the Technology Coalition for us was a really obvious next step in terms of completing the collaborative approach to combating all forms of child sexual abuse and exploitation. I should say also, our child sexual abuse strategy is fully comprehensive. And of course, being part of the Technology Coalition and collaborating with our peers is critical. But we also have a very comprehensive prevention and detection strategy in place. So, for example, I mentioned earlier that our direct messaging service doesn't facilitate the sharing of images or videos via private messaging. And that decision was taken in part because we know from data released by the We Protect Global Alliance that private messaging is a place where child sexual abuse imagery is most often shared. So rather than being in a position where we had to mitigate that risk of that happening, we took the decision essentially to prevent the sharing of any images or attachments via direct messaging to essentially, from a design perspective, design out the risk of images being shared in that way. We also, when we do come across images that we consider to be potentially exploitative, we report them to NICMEC, which is the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children, and also, where appropriate, to law enforcement. And to give you a sense of scale on that, in 2020, we made 22,692 reports to NICMEC. Yeah, thank you very much. I certainly feel like I've got a better idea of the safeguarding that TikTok does. It's really impressive. I think that because we're a young platform, people might assume that we have a long way to travel. And of course, we're absolutely clear and humble about the fact that, you know, there is no finish line when it comes to child safety and no more so when it comes to countering child sexual abuse and exploitation. But I think that the level of commitment is reflected by the scale of our operations. So to give you a sense of that, we began 2020 with 20 people in our Dublin Trust and Safety Hub, and we finished the year with over 1,100. So we are growing at pace because we understand that building a safe platform is, as I say, a foundation, a cornerstone of building the kind of community that we want to oversee and facilitate. Thank you. Well, for now, we're going to have to wrap up there. I'd like to say thank you so much to Alexandra Evans for joining me for this Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions podcast. We'll be continuing our focus on education in a digital age in an upcoming episode. But in our very next podcast, my colleagues Emily Nicholson and Alexandra Agnew will be talking about whether we are still living in a liberal democracy. And if not, how and when did things start to change? The Digital Sessions are a series of online events, videos and podcasts all available at mishcon.com. 
And if you have any questions you'd like answered or suggestions of what you'd like us to cover, do let us know at digitalsessions@mishcon.com. Until next time, take care. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com.